Good morning. Uh, I want to apologize, uh, not in advance, but post for you not getting your good morning handshake and hug, but you didn't want it this morning. So whatever that thing was going around last week, I got it. It's been awesome. Uh, so yeah, yeah, just know my spirit, I want to hug you, okay? I want to hug you, but I, I don't want you to get sick. So <clears throat> you guys want to know what um, puts me on the express train to crazy town? I mean, above and beyond anything else, which really, may, I mean, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm losing my mind and going nuts, um, it's when I misplace something, right? Like, I come home, and, and I come home, and I know I've got something else to do, and so, you know, I take out, my, like, my wallet, and my keys, and my phone, and I lay them down, and when I'm laying them down, like, I'm thinking through, like, this would be a good place to lay it down, because later on, I've got such and such to do, and I'll just come by, and I'll pick them up, and then when that said time comes to to pick up my phone, and I can't remember the brilliant place I laid them down, uh, and, and more than anything, and then I feel like I'm going nuts. Like one time I lost my keys uh, for like a week, and for like a week, all I did was go around, I, I searched everything. I, I, I like took apart couches, I got in, and my wife was like, what is wrong with you? Because when I misplace something, I, it just drives me crazy. Anybody else identify? Anybody else? Oh, okay, so I'm not the only one, I'm not the only one. Well, that's good because this morning as we continue our study, Lies We Believe in the Truth That Sets Us Free, we're going to look at a lie that is all about misplacing our hope. And, and we're going to talk about the absolute madness that ensues when we do that. All right? So join me in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive the word of God. Father, thank you for being good. Thank you for reigning over all things, um, even uh, through sickness uh, Lord, we give you praise, uh, even for that, even for those seasons, because we recognize that you're good. Holy Spirit, we uh, want to recognize that you are the teacher of our church. And so we come before you every week at this time, and we, we just simply ask, would you come and take your place in our pulpit to be our teacher and our guide? We pray that you would open up the word of God and teach it to us from the inside out that you would exalt Jesus Christ. And Jesus, as we see you clearly this morning, uh, we pray that you would stir our affections towards you, that we would want in our innermost being to be more like you and less like us, and that we would leave here transformed because of the work that you do inside of us. Jesus, we pray all these things in your holy, powerful, and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, I want to remind you a little bit about what happens when we believe a lie when we believe the wrong thing. So scientists say this is kind of how uh, the, the human mind works, right? So we take in a thought, and, and especially if we take in a wrong thought, we begin to think about it, and then, and then it eventually changes the way that we feel, and it changes the thing that we do. And so if we believe a wrong thing, then we feel the wrong way about ourselves, about God, then we start to do the wrong things, and then your actions and, and your feelings... Can, can then reinforce the wrong thought that you already had. Now, biblically, we would call that a stronghold. And some people say, well, why, why are we talking about this stuff in church? Why are we talking about the things that we think? Why are we talking about how we're made up and how we work? And, and the reason why we're talking about it, because these are very much spiritual things. The Bible says that we're in a spiritual battle and that we have a very real enemy uh, named the devil and that he is the father of lies. And, and it tells us that the father of lies is raising up arguments against the knowledge of God and against the son of God who is Jesus Christ. And, and, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, and he says, John 17, 17, that all of the word of God is true. 
And so, so, so Satan is trying to raise up false arguments against the truth of God's word and the truth of God's son. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're not just going to look at a lie, we're actually going to enter into spiritual battle. So I kind of want you guys to understand what, what's going on, okay? And, and this morning, uh, what we're going to talk about, what we're going to address today is, is, is a lie that is it's big deal because it leads to so much madness that I've even seen people just get to a point they grow completely cynical. Uh, because of this thing. And so here's the lie we're going to address. We're going we're gonna to fight off this morning. Ready? I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when fill in the blank. I'll be happy when fill in the blank. And the, the fill in the blank can be as trivial as when I get uh, that new pair of shoes. Or I'll be happy when I get that new game. Or I'll be happy, um, you know, when uh, I, I, I pass that test. It can be as trivial as that. Or it can be as significant as I'll be happy when I get that new job. Or, or when I get that new relationship. I'll be happy when I retire. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I finally have children. I'll be happy when my children finally get out of the house. You see where I'm going? Right? I mean, it, 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 it can be all of those things. Like, I, I, we could spend all morning just talking about those things. This lie is about setting our sights on a thing or a time and believing that when we get that thing, when we reach that place, when that time comes, that everything will be better than it is now. That's why this lie is so powerful, because it roots lie in what we place our hope in. Its roots lie in what we place our hope in. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about what the Bible says about happiness. Okay? And you might be surprised by the first point. Here it is. The Bible actually says that happiness is real and then it's attainable. Right? The Bible actually declares that happiness is a real uh, state and that we can be happy, believe it or not. And some of you might be shocked by that. This is a big deal. We live in a world that has often uh, encouraged us to place our hope in the wrong things. It encourages us to place our hope in people, to place our hope in politics, to place our hope in endless possibilities, always believing that that, that next person, that that next possibility, that that, that next political figure will, will solve all of our problems and life will be better. Only those things seem to leave us wanting, don't they? They seem to constantly leave us longing. They show great promise at the beginning, but then they always seem to fall short of satisfying. The promotion is never enough. The new wife nags as much as the old. The vacation was okay, but the jet lag and the laundry are killing me. And when this thing called happiness continues to elude us... When things continue to work out this way, when everything seems to fall just short of true satisfaction, we get jaded. If we're not careful, we can become like Solomon and just declare it's all meaningless. All of it. I'll never be happy. See, that's one of the ways that our unending pursuit of happiness, which is part of the American dream, right? It's one of the ways that this pursuit of happiness makes us feel we feel anxious because we, we, we are worried about whether or not we can get fill in the blank. And then once we get fill in the blank and it doesn't actually satisfy, then we get disappointed and we worry about what the next fill in the blank is that will hopefully satisfy us. And when that doesn't satisfy us, eventually that disappointment can just flat out turn into depression. And just being cynical over life, I will never be happy. I don't know where you are this morning. You're probably somewhere 
along that spectrum of emotion. You're anxious over life. You're disappointed in life. Or you're just depressed at how life has turned out. No matter where you are, I've got good news for you. Happiness is a real thing. Happiness is a real thing. It's not some mythical beast. It, it, it does exist. And God says it is attainable and even better that he wants us to experience. And so I want you to look at these verses with me. I'm in the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 1. Chapter 1, and we're going to walk through a couple of these. We're going to spend some time coming back to this. And we're going to start in Psalm 1. We'll, we'll, we'll then turn to Matthew 5. Uh, but I'm in Psalm 1.1. And I don't know what your translation says, but I'm going to tell you right now that if your translation says the word blessed, that that Hebrew word blessed, and also, by the way, the, the, the New Testament word blessed, uh, both can, can mean happy also. Those words are often used interchangeably because blessed means happy is the man who does this. And so, so listen to Psalm 1.1. It says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is on the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. How happy is the man who delights in the Lord's instruction. Psalm 2, verse 12 All who take refuge in him are happy. Right? All who take refuge in the Lord are happy. Psalm 40 verse 4 on the screen. How happy is anyone who puts his trust in the Lord and hasn't turned to the proud or those who run after lies? Psalm 84 5. And by the way, I've just picked a handful of these. Uh, The Psalms are full of this word. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. Right? We get to the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, begins with a a group of teachings we call the Beatitudes. Every single statement begins with blessed, and again, that word can be translated happy. So I want to read it that way. Happy are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. John 13, 17, same word. If you know these things, you are happy if you do them. You'll be happy if you do them. Now, I know that's a lot, but I I just want to start with this truth. I want it to sink in. Happiness is possible. And God actually wants it for you. God's God's word actually tells us how we can be happy. That's the first thing you need to know. But the second thing you need to know, it's kind of a big deal, is that the happiness that the Bible talks about is not the stuff that the world talks about, right? Real happiness, the happiness of God, is deeper and more profound than the superficial happiness the world offers. 
Real happiness is deeper and more profound than the superficial happiness that the world offers. And so I want to revisit some of those places we, we just were. We're going to revisit Psalm 1. Uh, we were just in Matthew 5. We're going to move to Matthew 6. And then I'm going to take you guys to the book of Philippians chapter 4. I just want you to know where we're headed in case you're trying to keep up. So Psalm 1, 1, I want to read it with you again. It says this, it says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates, it on, he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Timothy Keller has a sermon on joy, and he uses Psalm 1 as his foundational text, and he points out some really uh, amazing things. And one of the things he points out about this tree is you notice that this tree has seasons, this is like this tree, this, this, this person that is happy, uh, isn't always bearing fruit. Only bears fruit during season. That means that, that this person has dry seasons, right? This person ha- has, has hot seasons. How does somebody remain happy during a dry season? That's a question you might ask. Well, how, how is that possible? What, what allows a person to remain happy even when life is not very fruitful? And the answer is, well, the root system, Right? It says it's planted by a stream. This, this tree's roots, this person's roots go down deep. And, and, and when those dry seasons come, when those hot seasons come, they pull that water from way down deep from that river that they're planted by. And they continue to not wither, right? So this happiness of God that we're talking about, it's not the surface level stuff that our world is going to try to sell us, okay? It's got to be something much deeper, much more profound. Now turn with me back to the book of Matthew. And now we read Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to pick up in Matthew chapter 6, starting around verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. And, and Jesus says, this is Jesus' most famous sermon. He says, this, he says don't store up for yourselves, <coughs> excuse me, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, Because of all this, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body and what you'll wear. Isn't a life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe the wildflowers of the field, uh, how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. 
Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says don't chase the wrong things. Right? Don't, don't save up and, and, and store up the wrong kind of, of treasure. He's saying there is a kind of happiness uh, that is fleeting. There is a pleasure that erodes, that will be taken away from you. The, the pursuit of this false treasure, the, the pursuit of this counterfeit happiness, guys, Jesus warns, it'll consume you. He says it'll consume your time. You'll, you'll be like the Gentiles. All you'll do is keep running around in circles, pursuing stuff. Jesus, you've got to watch out. I mean, if you pursue the wrong kind of happiness, you will unendingly be chasing something you feel like you can never get a grasp of. He says, not only will it, will it consume your time, but it'll consume your thoughts. And so he says, like, what will happen to you is you'll constantly be worried about if you have enough, fill in the blank. Well, I wonder if I can get to fill in the blank. I wonder if I can store up enough, fill in the blank. I wonder if my kids will be enough, fill in the blank. And before you know it, every moment of your life is wasted in worry. You heard me, I said wasted. That's your question this morning. How, how many of you struggle with worry? Just be honest, Jesus is watching. That wasn't enough of honesty in the church of God. How many of you, be honest, I struggle with worry. Okay. Now, you know, you don't have to tell me how old you are. It's not one of those. We're not confessing our sins to one another, uh, though that's biblical. But you know how old you are, and you know how prone you are to worry. Can I just ask you a question this morning? Has it worked? Has, has, has one ounce of it worked? Has one iota of worry ever actually helped? Of course, the Bible says no, that's a waste, right? And Jesus is like, that's the point, man. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life consumed with trying to get the next fill in the blank or consumed with worry about whether you have enough fill in the blank. That fill in the blank stuff, he says, is all going to be gone one day. So don't waste your life. Then Jesus says, by the way, there is another way. You want to hear it? It's verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God. That but should, should almost be read as an instead. Instead, here's what you do, Jesus is saying, ready? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. I heard someone once say, if you aim for the things of earth, you will miss them and you will miss heaven. But if you aim for the things of heaven, you will get God and you will get the things of earth thrown in. That's what that verse is saying. And guys, when we figure this out, when we begin to live this way, then we find that we can endure being poor. We can endure persecution. We can endure the loss of a loved one because we have found that Christ is our gain. I think that's what Paul finally figured out. I'm in Philippians chapter 4. The apostle Paul writes this starting in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. See, that's the context of Philippians 4.13. It's not a bumper sticker. It's not a phrase we put on our letterman jacket. Philippians 4.13 says, I have found God, therefore I can make it through anything. I have found God, therefore, when life is good, when, when my tree is in season and it's fruitful, praise Jesus. And in the dry times, guess what? Praise Jesus. Because I have found God. That's what Paul's saying, man. I, I, I found God. Because I have God, I can be happy in any circumstance. That is what real happiness looks like. That's what it's about. It is deeper. It is more profound than the superficial stuff the world peddles our way. Clothes and food and phones and promotions and relationships and fill in the blank. Last point. Last point. Once you understand that real happiness cannot be found directly, it is a byproduct of seeking God. Not only is it deeper and more profound than you think, it can't be found the way that you think it can be found. All of the examples that, that we've read in Psalms or in Matthew, really you could find any example in the Bible, you're going to notice not one of them says, happy is the man who seeks to be happy. It's not in there. Like, read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You will not find a single verse that says, happy is the man that longs to be, that seeks out happiness. Because that's, that's just not how it works, right? Happiness isn't, isn't superficial. It's not something that can even be seen. Therefore, it's not something we can set our sights on. And when we think that that's how happiness works, when we think it's something we can set our sights on and work towards, what happens is the thing that we receive that we get back is superficial and it never satisfies. And so when we chase and chase and chase after that superficial thing that we've put misplaced our hope in, and then that, that misplaced hope doesn't play out to be everything that we hoped and longed that it would be, we're dissatisfied. Right? We're disappointed. And if that happens enough in our life, eventually we'll be disillusioned altogether. We'll believe that happiness doesn't exist at all. When we just keep running after the next fill in the blank, hoping that it will help, hoping that it will fulfill, that maybe it will satisfy, and it never works, we get jaded. But that's not how happiness works. You can't seek it out directly. Psalm 1 says, uh, it, by the way, it doesn't say happy is the man who seeks happiness. Psalm 1 says, happy is the one who delights in the Lord and walks in his way. Psalm 2 says, happy are all those who take refuge in him. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, the gist of it is happy are those that seek God first and put his words into practice. 
And that's the story of the Bible. Happiness always comes after somebody seeks God. Happiness is the one that takes refuge in God. Happy is the one that seeks the Lord. Happy is the one that puts his word into practice. That's how we find over and over that this happiness thing comes not by seeking happiness, but by seeking God. It's it's interesting. I I love it when... um, I love it when science begins to back up our faith, and I totally took out uh, this article, but I'm just going to tell it to you. So um, there's an article in uh, Psychology Today. I know that's one that you read a lot. Uh, And and the guy writes, um, if you're seeking happiness, you'll probably be lonely. That's kind of the title of the article. And so uh, they got together, and they just wanted to try out this thing. What happens if you're seeking out happiness in life? Uh, What what, what happens? And their belief going in was, if you're looking for happiness, you're probably going to feel lonely. And and people are like, what? Why why is that the case? And so they did this study. They had two groups of people, and one group of people, they had them both watch a movie. Okay? But before one group watched a movie, they had them read a newspaper article about happiness. And it said stuff like, you know, if you're happy, you'll make more money, you'll have better friends. I mean, it was just a made-up kind of thing, right? If you're happy, you'll do this, you'll do that, you'll do this. So they read this article about happiness, and then the other group didn't. They both watched the movie, and you don't know how people felt at the end of the movie? The people that read the article about happiness watched the movie, interpreted their own life, and they felt lonely. And the people that weren't focused on getting happy or being happy watched the movie, they loved it, and they felt good about themselves. (laughs) You see, happiness isn't something we can seek directly. And even the world is screaming at us, saying, if you try to seek out happiness directly, you will be miserable. Listen, when a psychologist tells you to stop seeking out happiness directly, after the Bible has been screaming it for generations. Maybe we should stop and listen, amen? So here's here's the lie again. I'll be happy when, fill in the blank. I'll be happy when we can put another few hundred thousand in that 401k. I'll be happy when my kid starts making some good decisions in life. I'll be happy when I finish my honeydew list and not a moment before. I'll be happy when, right? That's a lie. So here's the truth, okay? Real happiness is a byproduct of placing all of your hope in Jesus. Remember what this all goes back to, where it all started. You guys raised your hands. Nothing in life is more frustrating than misplacing something. Spiritually speaking, I'm going to tell you, nothing in life will be more frustrating than misplacing your hope in the things of the world. Because every time you misplace your hope, every time you lay it down in an item of the world, believing that that item of the world will bring you the thing that you long for, and it doesn't pay off, and it doesn't pay out, one of two things are going to happen. Either A, you're going to become obsessed with the next thing that will pay out, right? You're going to worry about it. That's one, okay? The second thing is you'll just keep running around for more. It'll consume your time. It'll consume your thoughts. I promise you. So that's the lie, what's, uh, or that's the truth. What do we do um, because of it? What do we do because of it? If the truth is that real happiness is a byproduct of placing all of your hope in Jesus, delighting in the Lord, um, uh, 
making the Lord our refuge, being satis, uh, satisfied in the Lord, seeking him first. What do we have to do? Well, we've got to stop placing our hope in the next fill in the blank. And so, uh, so here's some application. Here's the first thing I want to challenge you to do this week. And these, these all have multiple things, but here's the first. I want to challenge you to stop worrying and frantically pursuing the next fill in the blank. Just stop it, right? Stop it, okay? Somebody comes to me like, Pastor, I have such a bad habit. What is your bad habit? Man, I smoke like four packs a day. That's a lot, by the way. I'm a smoker. It's a bad habit. Okay, so you know, step one, stop it. That's step one. Now, step two, put some candy in your mouth. Replace the oral fixation. Like, we'll give you step two in a second. But step one is just stop doing what you're doing. So that's step one. Stop worrying and frantically pursuing. Jesus says, who of you can add a single moment to your life by worrying, right? We just had a testimony a second ago. You, you testified right here in church that you have wasted your time worrying. It has never... Can, can anyone testify to a, to a moment that worry helped? Anybody got one of those testimonies? Man, I worried and I worried and I worried and that fixed everything. It didn't, did it? Made your health worse, your heart worse. I mean, you name it, right? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, doctors are now saying that when we worry, our bodies release cortisol. Cortisol is the thing that is only supposed to be released in fight or flight, right? Cortisol is the thing that gets your heart pumping in fight or flight so you can either stand up and kill somebody or you can run away. I don't mean kill them. I mean physically hurt them so that you can run away, right? Cortisol is the fight or flight mechanism. Like somebody breaks in your hand, home, cortisol, boom, and you're like, I'm gonna, I, I got this or else you're, you're out the window, whatever, Cortisol is that thing. But do you know that when you worry, your body constantly, because it's so stressed out, continually releases cortisol. And cortisol released over long periods of time damages your heart. Do you know that? Do you know that you could die because of worry? Wow. Could it actually take years off of your life? So stop it, right? You're like, easier said than done. We're going to get there, okay? Stop worrying. Stop frantically pursuing the next fill in the blank. Um, here's a little uh, way to help yourself. Anytime you catch yourself using the phrase, then I'll be happy, just red flag it. Well, if, if I get that promotion, then, then things will be better. And you don't even have to use the word happy. Well, then, then it'll be better, right? That's you saying that you're putting your hope in that promotion, right? Well, if, if, if my son doesn't end up, you know, like, like on academic probation, like, whoo, praise Jesus, then I'll be okay. Really? Well, what if he doesn't? So your happiness relies on a letter grade? It's highly subjective and has nothing to do with life skills? I'm sorry. I mean, other than the reading, right? I mean, the reading's important. Nobody needs to know where the... Never mind. Um, There's just a lot of things that aren't important that we make important. Don't know how to balance a checkbook, but by golly, you better know the capital of fill in the blank. See? Step two, place all of your hope in Jesus. Like all of it. All of it. So uh, here's your challenge this week. I want you to make a hope list. Not hopeless, hope list. I want you to make a hope list. And what, what, like, what are you hoping for? 
man, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping my children grow up and, and get a good education. I'm, I'm hoping my, my children grow up and get a good job. I'm hoping that my, my children grow up and, and love the Lord, right? I'm hoping that, that, that we have enough money to retire. I'm hoping, like, what are all the places you have put your, what, what are all the places you're putting, just make a list of all the places you're currently putting your hope, right? I mean, I hope I can do this. I hope we can, just a, a, a hope list, so make that list, okay? Now I'll tell you what to do with it. When you make that list, you've got to give it all to Jesus, all right? You've got to do that. So third, third, third step, ready? We have to then, once we give those things up, we have to dwell on the good and we have to allow God to strengthen us. We have to dwell on the good and we have to allow God to strengthen us. Um, Philippians 4 again says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everybody. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. That sounds like what we just talked about, right? Don't worry. So that's step one. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's going to place it in the arms of Jesus. Right? It says, and then the peace of God, which surpasses all of understanding, will guard your heart. So when I give it up to, to the Lord, the Lord will give me something in, 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 in response to my giving up all the things that I was putting hope in. I'm saying, Jesus, I'm going I'm to trust in you for all these things. I'm putting all of my hope in you. It's all in your hands. And then he gives me a peace. He says, I got it. Is that enough? Well, the scripture doesn't stop there. So when you give it to Jesus, there's something else you should do. So right, I, I got I to think the right thoughts. I got to do the right things. And so, it's, so here, here's the next thing you should do, ready? And once you give it to Jesus, and he says, I got it, and you since he says, I got it, then you need to actively do something else, ready? This is, this is the, if you're stopping smoking, you stop smoking, and now this is the, hey, I'm going to tell you to suck on candy, and you're going to get a little fat, but it's cool. You'll work that off after you stop smoking, okay? Just, it'll take a little time. It's fine. So here it is, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. So I've got to to dwell on the good now. I have to actually take all the things that used to be worry. I've, I've given all the worry up because I'm not placing my hope in them any longer. I'm putting all of my hope in Jesus. I'm trusting Jesus to actually sanctify my children. I'm trusting Jesus to provide for, for my, my security, not just eternally, but here on earth. I'm trusting Jesus that, that I'm, I'm going to be in the right job or he's going to move me, right? I'm trusting Jesus. My hope's not in these things. My hope is only in him. Okay? And now that I've put all of my hope in him, that I, he's given me this peace, but I actively have to do something. I now have to think good thoughts. I have to think about what is true. I have to think about what is right. I have to think about what is excellent. I have to think about what is praiseworthy. I actively have to make myself think about God instead of think about the other stuff that I naturally want to worry about. You see it? So I have to think the right thoughts. Ready? And then the last part of this, and then I have to allow God to strengthen me. I've got to rest in his strength. Verse 11, he says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both, uh, both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things through him who, what? Strengthens me. 
I give it to God. I think about the things of God. And I rest in the strength of God that he has truly got it. And when I do, get this, ready? I can be content whether my life is productive or it's not. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Okay? Now, I I get it. I know this isn't easy, but I want to help you today. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer, and we're going to do something cool. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to uh, come and rip our chest open. I know that sounds cool. Spiritually speaking, not physically. And, and, and rearrange some things. We need to rearrange some things. We need to rearrange some of the things we've set our hearts on. And I'll just be honest with you, I'm enough of a sinner that I can't do that on my own, right? I, 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 need, I need the help of God. And so we're going to invite the Holy Spirit just to meet with us here for a couple minutes. And then um, we're going to dismiss you guys and you get to go home. So let's pray. Father, um, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for your word. I just pray over the next couple minutes that you would allow us to do what only um, can be done through you and by you. Um, I just pray that you would show us all the places that we have um, misplaced our hope. Show us all the areas where we've laid it down. Which God, I, God, yeah, 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 no, if I can do this, then I'm gonna be okay. If that happens, I'll be okay. If that happens, and just, just um, with a spirit of truth and love, hopefully some love, make it gentle on us. But God, just reveal to us all the places that we have misplaced our hope and then lovingly deal with us from there, okay? Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment. Uh, just, just every area of our life that we try to hold you out, we try to hold you off, would you now invade and show us every single area that we have misplaced hope, please. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what we're gonna do. Um, in a second, I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes in just a spirit of prayer. I'm not there yet. Don't fall asleep on me. I know it's still kind of early, um, and uh, I'll have you bow your heads for a second. And, and then what you're going to do right there where you are, um, kind of in a spirit of prayer, you're going to take a little inventory, okay? Where have I misplaced my hope? Just, just all of it, all of it. I mean, what, what are the things that worry you? I mean, if you're wondering what I, where have I misplaced, what, what worries you? I'm, I'm worried about my kid. I'm worried about my, my spouse. I'm worried about my job. Like, those are things that worry you. That means that you have placed your hope in the wrong things. And so I want you to, to literally, and so here's what we're going to do. We're going to think through all those things. And kind of as we think about them, it, it, I just want you to kind of take each one of those and kind of place it in your lap. Just kind of like your lap is, is the place that you're going to hold the weight. And so you're going to kind of take that burden off your shoulders, off your, off your mind for a second. I want you to place every single worry just in your lap. That's where we're going to start, Okay. So we're just going to start there, and that's all you're going to do. That's all you have to do to start with. So in a spirit of prayer with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I just want you to, to think and name, specifically name every single misplaced hope you have, every fill in the blank you've been chasing. I just want you to kind of, kind of take it out of your brain, and I just want you to kind of, kind of think about it being laid there on your lap, okay? Let's do that.
maybe you've put your hopes in a political figure. You feel like they've just fallen short, right? Maybe you put your hopes in even your spouse. You recognize, man, I'm married to a sinner. And they're married to a sinner, right? Just need to see that. Maybe your hope is in your bank account. It's not where you want it to be. Just every single one. Just name them one at a time. Just name them one at a time. Place them right there in your lap. Here it is, Lord. This is what I'm, I've I'm. put my hope in this. I've, I've, I've convinced myself that if I get this, then I'll be happy. Name it all. And if I get that new iPhone, I'll tell you what. Life would be so much easier. I would finally be organized. Liar. Every hope. Every misplaced hope. I just want you to lay it right there in your lap. Okay? Now, don't look up here. I'm going to tell you what to do. Once you get all that stuff in your lap, it's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. Here's this next part. It's going to feel weird. We're going to take each one of those things, each one of those worries, each one of those concerns, each one of those places that we have put our hope, we've misplaced it. We're going to take that thing and we're going to place it in the hands of Jesus. And we're, we're going to do this symbolically. And so for each thing that you feel like I've symbolically laid in my lap, I now want you slowly, one at a time, I want you to call them out there. They're just privately between you and the Lord. I want you to take each one thing, and every time you're ready to give that one thing to God, I want you to raise your hand, kind of with clenched fists, and now I want you to let it go. Hear God. Just every single one. Work through every single one. God, here. Here it is. Come on. Here it is, every single one. I'm hanging on to this. I'm believing. If I can do this, it's something. No, God, I give you my career. Here, take it. God, I, I give you my kids' education. Here, take it. Any parent out there can say, I give you my children's safety? God, I, I trust you with their safety, God? Lord, I trust you with my finances. Just let it go. Here, it's all. I trust you with my failure. God, here it is. Every single one, okay? Every single one, until they are all gone. And when the last one is gone, I want you to leave your hand just up there in the air. Just open. Just leave your hand up in the air, open to God. We're going to do something sexy. When you let go on of every single one, you just leave your hand in the air. It may take a little while. It's kind of like being Pentecostal. You'll, you'll get through this, okay? Just raise your hand. When you've let go of every one, you've got to let go. I see some of you folks. Listen, I know your eyes are closed, but mine aren't. I see some of you had not raised a hand yet. Stop holding on to stuff. Once you feel like you've let it all go to God, just raise your hands. Just, raise it. just leave it up. Lord, I'm going to let go of it. I promise. I promise. I'm going to wait. It's okay. Work through it. I'm going to let go. Lord, I'm just going to let go. I'm going to give it to you. Okay? Just keep your eyes closed for a second. I want to read this verse over you. I just want you to hear the word of God. Your hands are up. This is what it says. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice.
hands raised, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. See, my friends, that is called worship. That is called worship. God, you are the only place. You're the only one that I trust. All of my hope is in you. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.